Many's the time I've been mistaken And many times confused Yes, and I've often felt forsaken And certainly Hello and welcome to this Good Friday Leap of Faith. Well, often at this time we like to focus on the arts associated with Holy Week and this week is no exception as we explore the music of the Passion. But why would we begin a discussion about music inspired by Good Friday with a song by the Jewish-American singer-songwriter Paul Simon? Well, the musicologists among you will know Paul Simon's so-called American tune was actually a German one used by Bach in the 54th movement of St. Matthew's Passion in the 18th century, but borrowed by Bach himself from a German hymn, O Haupt voll Blut und Wunden, O Sacred Head Now Wounded. That hymn set a translated medieval Latin text to the melody of a well-known 16th century love song by Hans Leo Hassler. So the American tune is a hand-me-down several times over. Well, all that demonstrates how those who compose sacred music for Good Friday hymns, such as There is a Green Hill Far Away, the two or maybe more passions from Bach and All the Stabbed Matters and Settings of the Last Words, know that they're contributing to and drawing from a canon of work, whereby various musicians have tried to capture in music the deep sadness and the theology of the passion and the death of Jesus. Earlier this evening, music for Galway and Galway 2020 streamed live a performance of Passio, St John's Passion, by Arvo Part, live from St Nicholas's Collegiate Church, Galway. Written in 1982, the St John's Passion is one of the best-known choral works of the late 20th century, and the musical director of this evening's performance was Mark Dooley. Mark was born in Hawke's Bay, New Zealand, and came to Ireland almost 30 years ago, and has held several major posts in the country, including organist and director of music at Christchurch Cathedral Dublin, chorus master to the RT Philharmonic, Choir, Artistic Director of the Irish Baroque Orchestra and Artistic Director of Pipeworks. Mark joins us from Galway this evening. Welcome, Mark. Hello there. As Director of the Royal Irish Academy of Music, Professor Deborah Kelleher is a leading ambassador of the performing arts and music education in Ireland. She was an instrumental figure in the recently established partnership between Trinity College and the RIAM. Deborah, welcome. Thank you very much and welcome. And completing our Good Friday gathering this evening from Scotland is Sir James Macmillan. James is one of today's most successful composers and is also internationally active as a conductor. His musical language is flooded with influences from his Scottish heritage, Catholic faith, social conscience and close connections with Celtic folk music blended with influences from Far Eastern, Scandinavian and Eastern European music. Lovely to have you all with us this evening. Deborah Keller, can I start with you? Isn't it interesting that more composers are drawn to Good Friday's sadness rather than Easter Sunday's sunnier uplands? Why, I wonder. Well, I suppose it's got the drama, it's got the yearning. You know, sometimes when you're reading a book, it's great to get to the end, but it can also be a bit kind of sad because you haven't had the drama or the suspense going through it. There's something so intensely moving and interesting about the story of Christ's suffering on Good Friday and all of the betrayals and the weaknesses that was shown on Holy Thursday in the run-up that in a way Easter Sunday is a bit of an anticlimax when it all gets resolved. So maybe maybe there's a bit of that in it. And James, we started the programme by making reference to the idea of, of the borrowing theme coming down uh, through the ages with passions. How has that affected your compositions? Well, I mean, every modern composer, and you've mentioned Arvo Part already, every, every one of us who attempts to set one of the passions um, uh, has the, the ghost of G.S. Bach hovering over our shoulders all the time. And sometimes it's a frightening ghost, but it can also be an inspiring ghost as well. 
uh, Jess Bach has written not just two of the greatest passions ever written, but actually perhaps the two of the two of the world's greatest pieces of music uh, in those two passion settings. And therefore, any modern composer foolhardy enough to uh, turn to the passions to set in, in his own way has to contend with uh, this history, this legacy. And uh, one has to embrace it. And I, I, I as well as uh, Paul Simon, have quoted from the, from Bach as well. And that, that melody I've managed to insert into my own St. John Passion. And Mark, you the, just only finished earlier today uh, the performance of Passio. Uh, how did that actually work for you from, with all of the restrictions that you've had of staying and keeping remote? It was a challenge because we were all so far apart and particularly the organist was really in a different postal zone to everyone else. So uh, it was a technological challenge, there was no doubt. And if we were going to, in a moment, hear an excerpt from the Paseo, uh, you might tell us a little bit more about it. And I believe as well, James, you can join in in this conversation as well because you actually know Arvo Part. That's right. Well, I curated a festival of uh, parts music in Dublin. Uh, it must be about 20 years ago now. And uh, a wonderful experience it was. And the, the great composer himself came over from Estonia. Uh, I think he has a, a daughter who lives and works in Ireland. And so he felt very much at home, as I did in Dublin. Mark, will you set up the first piece for us that we're going to hear from the Paseo? Uh, yes, I think we're going to hear the opening, a declamation from the choir that sort of sets the scene, and then the narrative is taken up immediately by the um, entry of the, what we might call the character of the evangelist, which is actually four voices and four instruments who take the role of the evangelist throughout. Uh, and a little bit like James himself in his St. John Passion used groups of voices, like different types of sizes of choirs for the different narrative roles. So Arvi here uses these this chamber group of four voices and four instruments. And straight away we hear at the opening the the very spare um, texture of this work. It's sort of mesmeric in a way. You get drawn into the work in a, in a way that is sort of trance-like. And I think that that happens really right, right from the get-go. <laughs>
Mark, the opening piece there of, of Passio, the, the whole sense that we have in listening to that piece uh, and what it actually does at an emotional level. Can you, can you expand on that for me? Yes, well, it was interesting um, rehearsing it. Um, it's a work you don't so much rehearse as sort of go on retreat with. Um, you just have to sort of l- l- go inside it and let it become you or let, you, let yourself become it in a way. It's, it's a very different experience to engaging with other sorts of music one might perform. So it's, it's quite a different undertaking, I, I found, but in, incredibly rewarding. There's a stillness about it. It's the sort of stillness of an icon, really, as you, as you, as you gaze on an icon, that stillness that you encounter there, there and the way that you're drawn into it. The, the same thing happens with music, I think, in this work. Deborah? I think it's exciting how Mark describes this and it it reminds me as a teacher, as a pedagogue of how we introduce students to the music of Bach and then this stillness of the Arvo Pert. Um, You know, Bach, as an example of a great writer of passions, he wrote the musical grammar. And so, for example, with him, our students learn how to write in four part harmonies, harmonies that part hundreds of years later was to use in an astringent 20th century way, like sucking a lemon sometimes when you hear it and it adds to the pain. But when our students learn these nuts and bolts of musical grammar, that's one thing. But then when they see it in the hands of these composers in these emotional, devastating passions, then suddenly all the nuts and the bolts come together and you can have that stillness. Well, James, as a composer, I wonder, has it a part, does it feature in your thinking of the impact that you're having on the performers as well as the audience? Well, it's all part of the musical communication. Um, the, the music itself begins in the silence of one's own thoughts. And it's a strange thing that in that uh, emptiness and that uh, isolation and that solitude, uh, the sounds begin and they come out of nothing. Uh, And someday, further down the line, hopefully, that music is then taken up by one's peers, one's one's fellow musicians, and it's interpreted, it's brought to life, it's it's given a kind of incarnation of itself, as it were. Uh, And that, in in turn, uh, communicates to the listener it suddenly becomes a very social phenomenon and that's the great gift, the great mystery and delight of music. And of course we now, people will acknowledge, live in a more secular time. That that also means that the music has an extra longevity to it that it might otherwise lose. That's right. It's interesting that um, in our post-religious times, as, as we describe it, um, that the, the, the musical audience, the people who love music like this, still um, give value and place to the role of the sacred in, the, in this musical form. Some people, music lovers, whether they're believers or not, will say that music is the most, the most spiritual of the arts. And I think we, we can recognise something in that. There's a truth in that, that music, especially that music that demands our attention, not just for the performance of the night, but actually, as Deborah says, that over a, over a lifetime, it demands our attention and, and our obedience of, and an obedience of listening. Um, and, and so through, through history, uh, the umbilical link between music and religion, music and the sacred, has never been breached. And that's why... We have composers like Arvo Pert and others turning back to the great sacred texts and, and expressing in, in music that timeless and indeed in sacred truths. Let's go to some more music. But this time, James, can we go to something from you? And I'm thinking about particularly the first movement of the St. Luke's Passion account of Father Forgive Them. Can you tell us about that? 
Yes, yeah, so this is actually the first movement. It is an excerpt from St. Luke, but it's in a work called Seven Last Words from the Cross. And it's a piece I wrote, well, maybe about 30 years ago now, uh, before I got round to doing my, my passion settings proper. But the seven last words, made famous, of course, through Haydn's treatment of them, uh, are reflections of um, the, the seven last statements that Christ that re uh, reputedly said from the cross, collected from the, the various Gospels. And this is indeed from St. Luke. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And... Um, it's a setting uh, that I made for choir and string orchestra. James McWillan's own composition, the opening movement of the seven last words from the cross. James, another question in relation to the piece we've just heard. I know that you also would have an interest in the world of politics. Is there a political story in The Passion? Well, many people say that. Many people through the generations have pointed to uh, the almost political message uh, that Christ brought to the world um, that, that's a, 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 a severe simplification, of course, of, of, a, of a great figure, a great historical figure and spiritual figure. But it's undeniable that there is something in Christ's um, preferential option for the oppressed, preferential option for the poor and the dispossessed that no doubt um, can um, reverberate in secular and political terms throughout history. Well, we've been asking each of you to introduce a piece of music that you associate with the Passion. Deborah, what's yours? Oh, mine is Erbarmadich from the St. Matthew Passion. It's the most incredible part of it. It's where Peter has denied Christ. And leading up to this, it's very chaotic. There, musically, Bach does it brilliantly. But when the cock crows and Peter has denied Christ for the third time, he realises, oh my God, I'm not better than any man. In fact, I'm, I'm worse because I was so close to him and I 
denied him as he said I would and this is Have Mercy on Me and musically it, it has a very important violin solo at the beginning and the violin was always um, associated with human frailty in the Baroque era and then you have this pizzicato plucked bass which is you know if you're ever really sad or something's happened your heart rate kind of seems like it slows down and it just feels like that beat and then you have these soaring phrases where Peter just asked for mercy it it's searingly emotional. I cannot find a better uh, example of this. My favourite recording is one that was done in Ireland by a RIAM alumnus and teacher John Beckett and the New Ireland Chamber Orchestra and Bernadette Grevy contralto as a soloist. I mean, it is sublime. Question for all three of you. I'm going to go to you, James, first. Is there a Catholic and Protestant difference to the Passion and the the impact that that has on, on, on even how it's composed or performed? Oh, well, I mean, as, as a Catholic myself, I came to the Passions through the great Protestant settings by J.S. Bach, of course. And um, when I set my St. John, I was aware that I was writing it uh, as a co-religionist of Bach, but with a very different experience, both ecclesi- ecclesiastically, but also historically and geographically and culturally. And um, Bach marks his passions with these wonderful Lutheran chorales that would have been a huge signal to his uh, Lutheran congregation that would have sat and listened to the first performances of these works. And they may even have joined in because they're, they're actual hymn settings, congregational hymn settings, when I did my St. John, I marked it with certain Catholic thumbprints, and it just came naturally, almost without me thinking about it. And for me, that was the sound of Gregorian chant, but also the use of Latin. And my punctuation points throughout my St. John were not Lutheran chorales, but Latin motets. Mark? It's a very interesting point James makes there, because I think these points of punctuation, whether they be in the form of Gregorian chant or in the form of chorales or arias, are points of access for people. So I think that's that's where the bridge exists, that whatever the tradition, there are ways into the story where you can be involved and in a way be playing your own drama in it. 
So in the Bach Passions, for instance, and particularly in the Pietistic tradition where, you know, the use of the personal pronoun I is so important. So um, in, in, the, in the John Passion, where, where, the, where you, for instance, um, following the events of Jesus' betrayal, you have the chorale, O grosse Liebe, it was I who brought you to this suffering. Or after the Alto Ario Fontenstrichen, you are bound so that I can be free. Um, the, the, it's all about how you can access the story in a way, or how you can play your part in the story. So it's whatever the cultural thumbprints, to use that word again, are. And yes, they do vary according to the traditions, and I think that's a fascinating thing. But um, perhaps the most important thing is that they they are there, that they are used. Mark, we turn to you now for a musical choice. Um, there's a movement in the St. Matthew Passion, Aus Liebe will mein Heiland. It's where, after where we're in the sort of courthouse, as it were, and the response in this aria is, um, for love, my Saviour would die for me, so that I would not be tried in a courthouse, so that I would not have to suffer in the way that my Lord is suffering. And then afterwards, this incredibly dramatic return to the courthouse, as it were, as, as the crowd bay crucify him. It's it's an extraordinary moment in all of um, the musical canon, I think. The juxtaposition of these two things is this beautiful aria with just upper wind. No no continuo, just oboes and, and a solo flute and the soprano singing with them. And then, as I say, this sudden plunge back into the drama. I think here we have perhaps the best example from all of Bach's passion settings of this juxtaposition of scenes, if you like. Question again to all three of you: Is this music of the passion and the time of? Is it exclusively to be listened to only at this time of the year, or do you find yourself uh, ever delving in at other times? Oh, there are certain pieces, maybe not the whole work, but for me, I couldn't survive probably a month without listening to a bit of um, the Matthew Passion because I just find the music so moving. So if I want to relax, if I want to think about things, if I want to have that moment. It is one of the first pieces I would go to. James? Well, it's a very uh, specific time, of course, when uh, our mind turns to uh, those days in history, um, the great crucifixion narrative and and resurrection. Um, But as a composer who lives with these texts and sets these texts, regardless of the time of year, um, I, I, I I live with the passion story all the time. And uh, I, c- I could listen to these works, especially the Bach and the and the part uh, that's been talked about any time of the year. For you, Mark. Yeah, I, I feel rather differently, actually. I mean, I, I I remember John Butt saying that the the St Matthew Passion is um, a musical experience that's sort of on the threshold of what is emotionally bearable. 
um, and I'm sort of with him there. I, I find it, it it's quite a tough listen in a way because it just just does take you to to such a uh, an emotionally intense place. So I do tend to sort of reserve it for that time of the year when it seems to be well, not just appropriate, but to have its full impact. And James, this music can also transfer to the operatic world. Well, yes. I mean, uh, Bach himself, of course, uh, never wrote an opera. Um, it wasn't part of his uh, job description, I suppose, mm-hmm. in the various jobs that he had. But uh, he, he was very much aware of operatic trends and a great admirer, especially of Italian opera developments. And you can actually hear and see that in his music. Um, it's already been commented on that there's a great drama at the heart of um, the St. John and the Matthew Passions by Bach. And in in that sense, maybe these two works are Bach's operas. Here is an extract from my own St. John Passion. Uh, This is from part two. It's the seventh movement, and it's basically that moment in St. John's Gospel where Jesus encounters his mother. Jesus is on the cross, and his mother is below him, and they speak. Uh, my, the narrator chorus, because I, I give I give the, the role of the narrator to a little chorus, and they sing, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing near, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. So as our programme comes to an end, we started with the music of Paul Simon. And Deborah, I think you're probably going to cue us up to finish on that very piece that inspired it. Well, it's based on O Haupt von Blut uh, und Wunden, which you mentioned, um, O Sacred Head, Now Wounded. This gorgeous secular melody that Bach borrowed for this piece. 
but students of four-part harmony would recognise this. People who just are interested in movies might even recognise this tune. It's one of the most well-known tunes going, but it still has to be one of the most limpidly beautiful four-part harmony settings. And it's right in the middle of this beautiful Passion by Bach, the St. Matthew. Deborah Kelleher, Mark Dooley and Sir James Macmillan, thank you for joining us on tonight's Leap of Faith. And indeed, that is our Leap of Faith as we leave you with that beautiful piece of music. On sound this evening, first was Pather Carney, our broadcast coordinator is Charlotte Holland and our producer is Sheila Callan. From them and from me, Michael Cullen, good night. Good night.